Hello, hello. This is Reality of Reality. I'm Aliza Rosen, a longtime TV producer and development executive. Every week on the podcast, I talk to interesting people in all aspects of unscripted content. Okay, so before I introduce my guests, I just wanted to give a few recommendations this week of things that I am watching. I saw the really strong Netflix documentary Disclosure last night. thought it was excellent. I think it's really worth seeing. I don't typically like sort of issue-based documentaries, but I thought this one was really well done and really important for everyone to see. I watched The Politician, the season two um, that dropped over the weekend. Really enjoyed it. It's a lot of fun. I think it was actually stronger than the first season. So if you weren't that into the first season, I would definitely give it a chance. And I also um, binged, uh, took me a long time. I don't know why, but I binged four seasons over the last, I guess it was two weeks of Insecure um, on HBO, which I just love. It was like my favorite binge of the last, I don't know, probably like the last year. Um, Highly recommend it if you have not seen it. So today on the podcast is Lene Griffin Carroll. Lene always knew she wanted to be in TV. She grew up with a father in the business and she started hustling at an early age and basically never stopped. So we get into her career, starting as an assistant at VH1 and then working her way up the ranks, going over to Universal, NBC, and then deciding four years ago that her heart was really in creating content and show running. So among many shows, she has executive produced the new show on Disney Plus, Be Our Chef, Road Trip in with Ricky Thompson and Denzel Dion for Snapchat, and Truth to Power with Lena Waithe for Rain, just to name a few of them. She tells me her ambitious professional dream, which I love, and her perspective as a black woman in the business of Unscripted. Okay, so I'm here with Lene Griffin Carroll. Lene, welcome to the podcast. Hi, so happy to be here. I'm happy to have you. This is actually the first time that we're meeting, quote unquote, because we're meeting over Zoom, which is how it's done these days. Obviously. Obviously. But I do know about you and I've heard about you for a long time. We have, I just checked on Facebook, we have 62 friends in common. This is a lot of friends. That's, that's, that's big stuff. Yeah. And so I got in touch with you, I think through the Women in Reality Facebook group, which is such an amazing resource. And I'd seen you post about a Disney plus show that you were doing that I was interested in. And we just kind of started a rapport back and forth. And I said, I need you on the podcast. And then I saw your bio and I said, I definitely need you on the podcast because I have no idea how you were able to do everything that you've done in the course of like four to five years on this I'll one that. resume. Me either. I think the first, <laughs> the, the short answer is I don't sleep, <laughs> which is not. fun until you look in the mirror and you're like, it's catching up to you. Sleep, honey, sleep. Um, so I've and been reading two kids. Like, like, I have two kids. Oh my gosh. And a new puppy. We got a quarantine puppy. Aww. So that's a whole, I, oh my gosh, he's so freaking cute. He's a Shorkie. So Shih Tzu <sighs> Yorkie mix. Um, I said, I would that's never cute. get a Yorkie ever again, but I did. Um, because Aww. he's five pounds and why not? Um, and we named him Nipsey after the great Nipsey hustle. Yeah. Uh, he's amazing. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, this whole thing sort of came about so funny. You talk about the group and you had mentioned that you were looking 
looking for African-American producers to talk about their experience. Um, I'm so bad at Facebook and social media, and I'm sure we'll get into that later um, as we talk about like having to build your brand and all of that stuff. But uh, so I saw that post and I just so happened to like go in there for the first time that week. And I'm like, I have to do this. I definitely need to. Um, there's this whole sort of other side of just being a producer, right? Like you said, being a mom, being a woman of color, um, you know, now being a showrunner. And so I wanted my voice to be heard, put my hand up for that. And <laughs> I was like, I hope she calls me back. And then I went into my messages and three weeks earlier, you had reached out for this. So I loved how this sort of just happened organic serendipity yes please yeah you have been recommended by a lot of people because people tag people that they recommend and I had gotten you had gotten quite a few nominations so I like to think yeah it it does if somebody keeps coming up and then I got a separate tech from Robin Latiker Johnson so I said all right I clearly need to talk to this woman but you're right I had already reached out so it it all worked out because I had already been eyeing you to speak So let's get into it. Yeah, no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I have to shout out to my dad. So before this started, you were helping me put my podcast speaker together. Uh, My dad urged me to buy it, I don't know, like two, three years ago. And he's like, if you don't buy it, like I'm sending one to your door right now. So shout out to you, dad. I'm doing the podcast. I'm so perfect because it's Father's Day. It's Father's Day. Yes. And he's (laughs) he's the guy who got me into TV. But you you start with your questions. Oh, well. Let's start there. How did he get you into TV? Aww. Okay. No crying. I'm allowed. I'm <laughs> such, I'm such a goober. Um, so my dad is a Southern boy from Mississippi. Um, and I just also listen as a black woman, I also think it's timely, right? So as there's so many people sort of having this aha moment and awakening, um, to systematic racism and just, you name it, right. My dad, there's also a story really quickly about how my daughter didn't know she was black until she was five. So I have no idea how that I'm living in these two worlds, but my dad's from Mississippi country boy who joined the Navy to get out of, you know, a very much still segregated South. He grew up with crosses burnt on his lawn, but anyways, so he, uh, by way of the Navy then found his way out to LA started doing security for television, worked on the Arsenio Hall show, ironically with Dave Hurwitz and that's funny that I, or that I, it's interesting that I mentioned David Hurwitz name because it'll come up later on in my career, but he, uh, Dave Hurwitz, I believe was a PA and my dad worked security, um, throughout nights. He was going to night school to learn how to do photography. And as I was in junior high, maybe elementary school and junior high, he started working at CBS studios as a staff photographer. So that was sort of always my window into television. Um, knowing I started off in photography, with my dad. Um, we're big movie buffs. So like as a six-year-old, we'll go to a film and he's like, so what did you think about it? And I'm like, it was good. He's like, but what else did you think about it? Um, and so I had no option, probably why I torture my kids now. So I had no option, but to be articulate and sort of think about, uh, why it was good. And we had our whole Cisco and Ebert thing. Um, but, and, and, and I like, and then you fall into it. Right. So we, I started off in photography, um, graduated high school at 16 and knew that I also wanted to major and study film. So I went to Cal State Northridge. Wait, hold I, on. What's yeah. with the graduating at 16? Uh, I, 
have no idea. Good parents. <laughs> I think really? the honest truth is, um, and that by the way, graduating at 16, my mom would not let me go to a school out of state like I wanted. Um, but because I was a film major, it was USC all day. And then ironically, Cal State Northridge had just created a phenomenal program. Um, they had finally gotten their money back after the 94 earthquakes. Um, and they were refurbishing the campus and building studios and green screens. And a lot of the SC professors came over. And so my mom was like, great, you underage kid, <laughs> you will go to, <laughs> go to school down the street. Um, I think really it, nothing phenomenal. It sounds like I was more brilliant than I was. Um, I was skipped up as a kid back when they used to do that. Um, and I think by the time the math worked out, I was just a 16 year old who got her first car the same time I was dry, you know, graduating. So I would literally pay kids at my school to drive me in my own car. Um, sorry, no, I got my car when I was 15 and a half, couldn't drive it because my license hadn't come in yet. So I would pay, I was a cheerleader and did karate and whatever. So it's like just different kids on my troops. Like I'll pay you an extra $10 to drive my car and I'll put gas in my car. That's really <laughs> funny. Um, so were so, you, did you feel ready to go to college? I did. It's, and I think that's just, I've always been an old soul. My grandma was my best friend growing up. A lot of the stories I know about my dad, I, I have a, because it's also Father's Day, I have to say I have a phenomenal stepfather who also raised me um, and was married to my mom. But I had, those were my friends and my buddies. And so when my dad would come get me on the weekend, we'd stay up all night catching up. Um, and so, yeah, I, I felt completely ready minus, I would never forget in college, I had a professor who said, you'll get extra credit if you vote this weekend. And I remember being porn like but I can't get extra credit by voting because I'm not 18 and he was like well that's how it is like I can't change the rules and I was like oh we're going to change the rules and so I think I figured out a way to negotiate extra credit on another project um <laughs> but going back to my father really quickly my biological father um who goes by Griff he worked in the industry until I was about in ninth grade eighth, eighth or ninth grade um and then he moved back to mississippi to help his mom take care of the land and so for me as a kid who grew up just knowing i'd, I'd be in some type of entertainment role as an adult i thought for sure i have nepotism like so there was no world in which i'd grow up and not have my dad hooking me up with my first job uh, that was so not the case at all whatsoever so it never helped um, at all it never helped, but he would always say, hey, I know this guy named Dave Hurwitz who was on Fear Factor and he's a producer. And I would say that like you just don't. There's no way that like that guy's a big deal watching Fear Factor and loving it. Um, and then I want to say my first week at NBC when I started um, helping to oversee the overall deals and first look deals, Dave Hurwitz walks in and he's talking about getting his start at um, Arsenio Hall's show. And I'm like, no way. This is the guy. And so it was like that awkward moment of me pulling him over and going, pulling him to the side after the meeting and going, hey, by any chance, like this, this, like, this sounds really funny and I, like I could be crazy, but do you know a guy named Griff Griffin? And he's like, no way, you're the girl who used to come um, and watch me and your dad play baseball for the team. And it was a, a really cool moment. Um, I still hate that my dad didn't actually hook us up. I feel, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I would have had years um, off my resume, but anyway. So how did you get your first job without any connections? Um, first job I got hired. Well, this is pretty amazing. It sounds 
amazing. And when you have, when, listen, this is a great opportunity when people ask you questions and you get to kind of sit in, sit in it and, um, be humble and, and grateful. So this is a gratitude moment. Um, I was graduate, hired graduation day, um, from college. So I had interned and I was that kid, um, who had like four internships just because I'm very logical doing the math, you know, that they're not going to pan out. Uh, so MTV networks, don't be mad at me, but it's very not (laughs) okay to have more than one internship the same semester. It's frowned upon. Actually, I had three internships that year at Viacom. So I was working at, uh, Nickelodeon and Nick at night press. Um, under Vanessa Reyes and Wendy Coto, who was amazing and was there for a really long time. Um, I had an internship at VH1, who was great um, in their development and production department. And then I think I snuck up to MTV Standards and Practices. <laughs> so Wait, I was just did like, any of them know about the others? Well, no, because all what's cheating awesome, on all of them. I think. <laughs> I do think I remember telling Nick Nickelodeon and that team just because they were awesome and they I'd have like weekend jobs. And I was like, I just want you guys to know I'm working full time. I'm in school full time and I kind of have to run upstairs. And I think you start outing yourself like when you're oh in the God. still in the building. Um, but funny. as long as the internship manager didn't find out I was good. And so that's essentially how I got my start. And I would never forget the intern manager was like, listen, it's a really great place to work. You'll have, um, you'll hopefully come out with amazing relationships, um, something on your resume, but don't hold your breath because we never hire interns. Um, and so it was like, cool, like not expecting it again. It's just all about the experience. So, um, that happened with the intern manager. And then the coordinator who was responsible for training interns also sort of reminded me of Hey, we're happy to have you again. It's all about the resume. You probably won't get hired. Cool. No problem. Right. That guy ended up getting fired. (laughs) And so the department started shifting and there was a spot open. So the assistant that was on the desk got his position. And now there's this hole. Um, and I was like, I have to get this position. And luckily it was a really amazing, um, crew at the time. Noah Pollock had just got there. He was looking for an assistant. Um, he was like this young, hungry executive. Um, shout out and to Jill Noah. Holmes, right. Uh, shout out to Noah. And Jill Holmes was there as well. And so I remember going up for both of their desks, um, again, saying, listen, I know there's 300 people you guys are reviewing, but I'd really love this position. Um, and I think BT jobs, I also have to say this just for anyone listening, the intern manager who said that he didn't put people up, I can't remember the guy's name, probably good that I can't, um, but he didn't put up my resume because of course this industry is about who you know. So they're not gonna put up interns, right? They're gonna put up a friend who's trying to come into the Viacom family or someone who's shifting or what have you. And so I remember giving it to him and he sort of just ignoring it. And so I had to have the nerve to, you know, get my resume to these people. And luckily I had a really good report. Those assistants of covering and, and all that good stuff and cooking food and sucking up in any other way <laughs> that I could. Um, good, but I remember good teaching moment though. Right. Right. Um, my grandma's pasta recipe, man. Uh, <laughs> and I remember going to Jill's desk because she had three kids 
And I go, how does a woman in this industry freaking have kids and do it all? And that was sort of the end. I mean, and she also had a higher title, so that didn't hurt either. Um, But that was the impetus for me wanting to work at her desk. And um, she caught me on graduation day, literally, as I was about to walk the stage. So that's how I got into the industry. Wow. Yeah, that was pretty amazing. She's like, what are you doing? And I was like, Jill, is it urgent? <laughs> did I do did I leave something at the office? And she's like, why well, I just, I said, I'm graduating. And she goes, okay, great. Perfect timing. And then she told me, so it was awesome. So you didn't have that typical hard knocks graduate can't get a job story. You were right there. I didn't know. But then you get into the industry and you go, you still have a long way to go. You still have a really long way to go. And I think, um, a part of because I didn't have that hard knock story, I feel like once I got my foot into the door and I was the first person technically to make it, my dad was more junior when I was younger at CBS and then again left. So it wasn't that sort of um, rapport of just someone who had been there and made it and the first to graduate from university and get to a corporate job. So for me, it was like, you have a job, sit up, sit down, shut up and be happy that you're there until you realize like that, all, that strategy also doesn't work, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I think you can do that and also work your butt off, which you did. So a lot of people who listen to the podcast are younger and just starting out in the industry. As far as your story and working your way up and starting as a coordinator at Viacom and at VH1, what do you think? Thank you. I earned coordinator. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So you went from assistant to coordinator. So what was it, do you think, that enabled you to rise up the ranks? In other words, you know, what were the things that you did maybe outside of your normal job duties to make yourself useful, to get yourself in the mix and then have people identify that you were a good person to keep promoting? Yeah, I mean, it's so funny because, so I think I finally took the assistant stuff off my resume. So you didn't see that and and how long I was um, an assistant. I remember, so getting hired, having actually studied film and television, and I was a film major. I should say I literally changed my major probably nine months from graduating because MTV had just launched, at least I remember it around that time, um, one of their first shows that wasn't real, uh, real world or uh, road rules. And it was PR girls. And I was like, holy hell, like, what is this new thing that is in sort of, you know, samey, like a even though reality, uh, roles, rules and real worlds are non-scripted television shows, they were staples. Right. Um, and then you had scripted outside of that. And then you had music television. So for me, it was this cool new world. And I knew that I wanted to do that. Um, so change my major. I had a film professor who told me basically like being in the, in the film industry is like being in the NBA. It's really complicated. You'd be lucky. You know, you have to be magic Jordan, uh, magic Jordan, magic Johnson (laughs) and or Michael Jordan, uh, whichever you prefer or both. Um, but so, so that had always sort of stuck with me. So when I got the job at the desk and like most young people, I was like, oh, I'm going to be here for six months. <laughs> it's going to happen. They're going to realize that I'm really about this life. I've studied it. I'm a film fanatic. I have it. I'm more than an assistant. Um, and then that more than an assistant hits you really hard and you swallow those words. And so I think the first year is really about doing the work and learning how to master what's ahead of you, like any other young assistant, I would presume. And, and I do, um, 
because I, I hire now assistants and they're like, I don't want to do calendars or I don't want to do the logistical, you know, um, A to Z work. But anyway, so I did that stuff. Feel free to cut <laughs> any of that out. Um, I, I had to master that. So that first year was learning about the calendar and boy, like even how to roll calls and those simplistic things and the importance of getting a coffee and how dare I have to I was supposed to get a coffee for my one boss, but now 12 people heard about it. And so I'm in cute hills because of course, dress for the role you want. <laughs> I'm carrying coffee and breakfast. Um, but so that was a year. And then in my mind, um, again, I had interned with really amazing people, worked with really amazing people who weren't from LA. And for them, they, to the 10th degree, had I'm just happy to have my foot in the door. So for me, it was like, well, once I master the art of being a, an assistant, I'm out and I'm going to have this on my resume and I'm going to go to another production company. And I want to say um, there was no internal movement at the time. I didn't really know how to get other jobs. I was told, I think like the UTA list was huge. Um, and so if you didn't see it on there, like indeed in those places just weren't a thing um, or LinkedIn. And so I was waiting for my UTA, UTA dream job to pop up. And then you start having relationships with production companies, word of mouth, long story short, uh, then we had the writer strike um, in 0809 and it hits our industry a lot harder than anyone had expected it to. And so um, half of Viacom was laid off. I had a lot of colleagues that I knew scripted and non-scripted. And then I was back at that place. Like, who do you think you are? You're happy to have a job. Um, and then once there was an opportunity for a promotion, I will never forget getting ready to put my name up. Someone internally saying, Hey, I just don't know if you're ready for it yet. And so you start second, your start second guessing yourself and going, well, what am I doing where I'm not performing um, as adequately as I should? Um, and so I didn't put my name up for the position. Someone else got the new position. And then what was person, the position? Just another uh, for an assistant to the EVP at the time. Mm -hmm. And why so did this my, person think you weren't ready? And why did you doubt um, yourself? I doubted myself because it would have been because I needed, I felt like I needed their support. If they, the same way you were saying, mm. like, listen, people are going to sort of endorse you, right? So I felt if this person felt strongly enough to tell me that I wasn't ready, I can only imagine what they're gonna tell the executive who I'm putting my name up for the position. The irony in that story is I didn't put my name up in the position, it was for the position, it was an internal position. A week later, I went out to lunch with that person and that person said, you know what? You should have totally done it. I think you're so ready. I see your growth. And it was that like, <gasps> and I was devastated. Wait, and the so, same person that said you person. weren't ready changed their mind. Correct. No wow. less than a week later. Because what do you I think was going on? Um, I think. I think a lot of people get complacent and I think I was good at my job and it just made sense for me to be where I was. And they knew that I was their go-to person and I was helping a lot of, you know what I mean? If, if it's not broke, don't fix it, which works for other people. But I think that was sort of one of those moments where I go, but what do you want? And what I had wanted was to, again, you come up with this plan. I'm going to leave. I'm going to have an amazing resume that didn't work. And now someone's telling me, telling me maybe I shouldn't. So I didn't do that. And then uh, making the story a little bit shorter to <laughs> answer your question. Um, so that was sort of that moment where I go, if they don't see it, 
what else can I do? And then, then you also realize like they do see it. <laughs> it just didn't work out for you that time. So um, I eventually end up getting promoted to the desk that I wanted a year later. And um, Jeff Old said to me on my yearly review, he said, if someone tells you no, it just means they don't have the words or the, the know-how to tell you yes. Um, and Ooh. so he said, uh, wasn't that, it was amazing. And I go, Oh, I feel validated. I don't even know if he knew, but it validated me. Um, and my first day on the job with him, he said, just answer my phones and do my calendar. You got this. He was like, and whatever you want to do outside of that, do it. And I took that and ran with it. And so, so funny how it comes full circle. Ironically, I had a friend, um, who was a publicist for Amber Rose at the time. She was big stuff. I mean, still is relatively, but big stuff was with Kanye. This is around VMA gate. And um, we got Kanye to sign off on doing a series. And so I went to Jeff and I was like, so there's a friend in this thing. And so I was out because I'm also young at the time. Right. So you are out until 5 a.m. And then you wake up and roll over at 730 and you're in the <laughs> office and it's fine. Right. Good um, I, st I still don't sleep, but I actually resent myself every day for not doing it. Anyways, um, it wasn't fun. So, so I was like, I was at the club and I found this out. Jeff, can we go to WeHo and meet with Amber Rose? And so we get there and it's paparazzi and I set up this meeting and we're off to the races and we end up pairing uh, dinner fees with that show. And that turned into a pilot. Uh, similarly, I had connections because I'm an LA girl and I was way cooler, by the way, as I'm hearing myself, I was like, you used to be so cool, girl. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was out and about and uh, this is before Atlanta Housewives. And I go, we're not seeing ourselves. And that's the other thing, right? I was working at a network where it was very singular how they were showing the African-American experience. Um, and I wanted to show that other side. And so I had um, known the Claudia Jordans, the Elise Neils of the world, and they were doing a podcast, ironically, and um, a, a radio show with Jamie Foxx. And I said, these women are so dynamic. And my good girlfriend, Portia Coleman, who um, helped connect me and those ladies. And I did a pilot. I got them. So, uh, sorry, I got them together in a house, wrote out what I thought the show would be, took it back to Jeff. And then we partnered that show with 51 Minds. So when you talk about what did I do to sort of go above and beyond my job title, that's a good example where I was like, I want this. I, I feel like I understand this world. So let me just do it. It's, it was no longer about proving it. Let me just do it. Which is key. I mean, that's like sort of the key lesson right there. You know, you hustled and you came you didn't wait for somebody to bring you anything or wait to make your way up the ladder. Even as an assistant, essentially, as you in, were creating shows and bringing them in. Yeah. So what and made that you, kind of, go ahead. I was going to say, so what made you jump over to NBC? Cause you ended up spending a lot of time in the NBC universal world after Viacom. Yeah. So uh, the quick wrap up of VH1 was, again, going to feeling comfortable and like someone saw you is super important. So went back to Jeff and said, listen, when I interned here, I think I remember there being some type of internal development department. Would we ever do that same thing? And technically, we had a development department, but it wasn't doing um internal content that was just for us and going back to programming and this sort of segues into my experience as a black woman, right? Um, true story, I protested 
Flavor of Love in college, season one. Oh my God. <laughs> season, I'm, a, I'm um, in this amazing sorority called Delta Sigma Theta. And, you know, that whole organization and sorority and sisterhood was built off of the women's suffrage uh, movement. And, yeah. you know, they were voting, I mean, protesting for women to have rights, you know, way back when. And so for me, I'm like, this is crazy. It makes women look bad. It's blah, 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 blah. And then I'm working on season two. Right. Um, did you tell them that you have been doing it? By the way, and I love 51 minds. It was such a good ride and it's such a great time in my career. Um, that, that was a, a pivotal time too, because I would go on set, talk about like going above and beyond it wasn't just me wanting to hustle, that was encouraged. So the Chris of Rago's, um, the Ben Samics, they let us go on set even as just the executive assistant and I can sit there and be there until four in the morning. Um, but so, and then of course I loved Flavor of Love after that, but my the whole thing was always having a seat at the table. And I think that sort of is a through line later on in my career. And, you know, going back to the people who knew that I was protesting and go, okay, don't laugh at me. <laughs> This is serious. Like what you guys don't realize is that I'm in the room and imagine what you would have seen if I hadn't been there. Right. And making it Mm. sort of that passion meet purpose. Um, But so going back to getting to NBC, so the universal television job had had come about and um, I was excited about it. They were launching the alternative studio. It also gave me an opportunity to hopefully um, bring my mom and my grandma to stuff. My grandma um, knew that I worked in TV, but really didn't understand it because we would never let her watch my shows. She, <laughs> my, my mom's mom was actually both of my grandmas were Jehovah Witnesses, but my mom's mom was like an avid Jehovah Witness, um, super religious. Uh, wouldn't watch PG-13. So you can't come to a basketball wives reunion. And uh, I wanted to have a family. And so it was that moment of like, I love this stuff. And by the way, my mom's addicted to that content now. She, she talked about it and was a scripted fan and now watches nothing else. Um, but I wanted to try my hand at something else. And so I went over to universal television, um, and helped start that department. And it was amazing because my first show out the gate was Hollywood game night. Um, I always tell people, I thought that they were making fun of me because I was very much known as the cable girl. No one really makes that jump. There's not a lot of people that do that. Um, I think it worked out for me because I was a little bit more junior. Um, in fact, when I got hired, it took a while. Like it was just such a sort of strenuous process. And so I was like, well, when do I give my notice <laughs> at VH1? And I just wanted that job that it said associate. So I just assumed it was associate producer. I had no idea that they had their own internal titles. I was ready for a manager position at that point because I had already been a coordinator. Um, and then they came back and they go, well, no, associate here is like a coordinator. And I go, oh, crap. Uh, but oh, well, it's experience, right? Right. And there's always, so I've been at those points in my career too, where when you jump to a different, in this case, from cable to broadcast, it's, you have to take that one step back to take one step forward. It's very frustrating, but it's like part of playing the game. Always, always. And so uh, I had Michael and Dwight on my podcast now twice from Mission Control, and they had a great story about the pilot of Hollywood Game Night. Were you at the filming of that pilot? Not at the pilot. No, I wish. So my my first day, 
oh gosh, it had to be my first day. Cause I was like, do they know me? Like, do they want to, is there a book or something I should read? I would say my second day NBC at the time. And I'm sure they still do it. They do these uh, pretty amazing, you know, um, orientation where you get to take a picture on the lot and all that cool stuff. And they gave me, it's complicated as my universal film. And I was like, they know me. They talk my language. Um, but so my first day up, I met Paul Telegdi and the team and Mission Control and Sean Hayes. And they go, um, yeah, there's this idea from uh, that Sean had. These guys made a pilot out of it. Um, is this, did they talk, talk about the hotel? It was a house in the Hollywood Hills. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yes, I remember the tape. And, and so the team, they go, so you're here. What do you think? And I go, okay. <laughs> and we're sort of just, you're forced to talk about it. But I love that they threw us in it. Um, anyways, we went on to develop it. I should have listened to that, their episode. I love Michael and Dwight, but I listened to others. Um, <laughs> okay. I, and we went, you're like, okay. <laughs> After this. Honestly, nobody needs, no, nobody needs to listen to anything. I'm just happy you're I, here. No homework required. Way, I'm so happy that you do this. I I remember when you started this and I was like, finally, because you know, we're also the underdogs of television, right? Oh yeah. The so redheaded stepchild. Like, girl, I feel like the under underdog. I'm like, I'm a black woman. I'm a mom. <laughs> you got I'm all like, those check marks. <laughs> right. And they're like, are you, but are you going to wake up on time? Are you going to leave? Like, but you're, but you have kids. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> but I work. Uh, anyways, yeah, exactly. and, and that show ended up, you know, as I'm sure you guys talked about being something so amazing. Our first season was um, in a house in Encino and now it's a stage show and just this amazing thing. But it was one of those first things that, you know, we had to help mold and shape and what is the studio and what's our participation. And I love Michael and Dwight because they allowed us to be super hands-on and it was a true partnership um, and with Hazy Mills as well. Um, and it was one of the first shows to my knowledge that it was really like under a million. It wasn't that big explosive, you know, broadcast budget. And it was, we were right. all sort of out to prove that we can do it. Yeah. So there's so much to get to and we can't get to everything. So let's sort of fast forward a bit to 2016. At that point, you had done a few, a few years at NBC. It seemed like you developed a ton of stuff. But I guess, did you have the producer itch to want to make content on your own? What made you leave to start producing on your own? So that, man, it was insane. VH1, I left shortly after I got pregnant, I believe. Mm -hmm. I did. Yes. Shortly after I got pregnant and mother nature is, is a weird lady. Uh, I got <laughs> pregnant again, <laughs> um, in 2014, which by the way, was the most crazy time. I don't remember having as many projects in production as I did at that time. Quick story. If you love them. Um, I wasn't telling anyone, <laughs> anyone that I was pregnant, um, By the way, I love that you called it Mother Nature. <laughs> That's not, mother, like, what is it, right? It's crazy. A hurricane just happened and <laughs> I got pregnant is, again. <laughs> I don't know how babies are made. You know, that girl <laughs> who put the baby in there. Um, she, <laughs> it's the universe, man. Those, those tricks. Um, but I remember not telling anyone that I was pregnant and that second baby will get you every time. I mean, you're like <laughs> two weeks pregnant and you look like you're eight months pregnant. And I had a show with Marlon when I had a show with Marlon Wayans and he simultaneously was filming, I think like 50 shades of black. So he was getting in the best shape of his life and he's bringing healthy snacks to the room. And he like week after week, he's looking at me and he's like, 
we would talk about creative and he's like, you know, this carrot juice is really amazing or this kale or like this thing is really great for your metabolism. And I'm like, awesome. Yeah, I love it. And he's like, do you, or he'll bring like an extra juice. You're like, I'm going in the other direction here, Marlon. Yeah. And then, and then ultimately, um, I think I, anyways, I got a juicer out of it. I don't know if I made him feel guilty and told him I was pregnant eventually. And he got me a juicer or if he got me a juicer, cause he thought I was that fat. Um, <laughs> Either but, way you got a juicer. Uh, yeah, I got a juicer. So I was, uh, pregnant that, that those, those damn hormones. Um, and you start thinking of things differently. And I had been really fortunate to learn so much at NBC, um, and especially be that one girl, again, being at the right place at the right time, um, where I really started to develop international relationships and going back to Hollywood game night, that was a good example of, um, I, you know, we wanted to sell that in different formats. And yes, everyone knows that formats are this big thing now. And I guess they always were, but not to the extent that they just are this phenomenon. And so I started to build those relationships. And when you're the liaison for the international teams, you're really having to produce, or when you have someone from Greece come, or you're the, you know, I don't know, Australian contact, you're literally having to redo the Bible and explain to them logistics. And it was just so much fun. And I found myself um, really having fun when I was producing. Um, But now I'm pregnant. I um, have all these ideas because again, the titles just weren't coming (laughs) as quickly as I wanted them to. And I have all these ideas um, to get promoted and to make hit shows. And um, Chris Curry and I had just been developing and we were um, developing World of Dance. I had reached out to them on LinkedIn. Um, And before maternity leave, I had passed that show on. I had a couple others that my team were really excited about. And um, sorry, I'm trying to make every story shorter. But we were excited (laughs) about shows internally. And I realized that because I had been working on so many series pregnant, and so many series in development that I hadn't taken a day off. This new baby didn't, I didn't go to Baby's RS one time. I didn't build a registry, like nothing. And so I finally said, guys, my maternity leave starts in a couple of weeks, but I'm taking today off because I'm very pregnant. I'm like, I haven't even connected to this kid. Um, and so I took a day off. My husband and I went to Griffith Park and our house was robbed oh and they God. took everything. And oh. so as a creative to have your computer taken, your hard drive, like th- those are shows that like I had, you know what I mean? Like you're putting you all serious? your juices. Oh my gosh, girl. So <sighs> the impetus I think sort of started there and it was just so, it was such a hard pill to swallow of like, I regret not passing that show on. I regret like not mm-hmm. having triple backed it up. And so having had this entire career that was based on titles and, you know, sort of logistical things. And now it's all taken away and you're about to be stuck at home for four months and away from it. And you're hoping that no one forgets about you or forgets about your magic or your contribution. Right. Um, so that was tough for me. I think I had like a little bit of like, now I acknowledge it as PTSD. Like I was scared to go outside. Someone was watching all of that, but then also Mm. I had to like go back to the drawing board and figure out what was important to me. And I think for me, it was creating and being able to do it at its fullest extent and just stripping away all the rest of the tropes that we're supposed to follow in this industry. And it's like you, you know, 
even as I started off as an assistant, I remember people saying, you have to start in the mailroom. It's just what you do. And so I always say, like, I believe in thinking out of the box wholeheartedly, not that you destroy the box, just deconstruct it because there's, there's, um, there's something great in the foundation and what that provides, but like, we owe it to ourselves to think differently. And so that was honestly the impetus for me leaving. Um, I, what else? Oh, I had received an offer from, um, Steve Harvey's company and, uh, I, they couldn't understand why I didn't accept it. And I think the biggest thing I kept telling them is I have benefits and I want to enjoy these four months off. And, you know, if I start this job, could I actually spend time with my kid? Um, and they're like, but it's a great opportunity. Like, it's fine. You know, you can help run the company. And they sort of just sensed this hesitation. And Steve Harvey had just released this video talking about how you have to jump to be successful. And so I started saying, well, you're this fearless chick, but you sure aren't jumping <laughs> like, but you're not making moves because, you know, like your career is sort of set. You take this role, this position, this position. Again, who are you to go out to be creative? And um, I remember pulling Brandon Reig aside when we had like this amazing uh, work retreat in Santa Barbara. And Barb, uh, Brandon was like, are you sure? Cause you know, we're, I had just came back from maternity leave, uh, Paul and Meredith and the team were like, geez, we missed you. Uh, they had also just taken me, we were doing a big switcheroo instead of being at the studio, they had brought me down to the network. Um, and it's like, well, this is amazing. If I have to be at the network to get that next title, great. Um, but then that little voice inside of me was like, but you like to create. And I think the studio provided that awesome little mix of both best of both worlds. I had the benefits and I got to create, but I got to go at home at night. And so, um, once that happened, that was me wanting to leave. And I went to Paul's office and said, I wanted to, and I thought I would get kicked out of the building right then and there. And he was like, duh, <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Duh. You'll be good at producing. Uh, wow. I had also at the time Channing Tatum came in with an idea and uh, I had the nerve to tell Channing that I felt like there were holes in his show and that, you know, it can get better. And he got silent and then he goes, what's your name? I was like, Lene. and he was like, come over here and give me a hug. And then there were talks after that of sort of like, well, why don't you come and produce? Um, that's what it was. Izzy pick who yeah, I staffed at, at, yeah, as the now, um, I was now the network executive, put her on that to show run. And I would be at Izzy's house on the weekend um, and helping her develop just because I love her. And that project was important to me. And she's like, dude, why don't you come out and produce? And I tell her the same thing I told everybody else. Like, I love my benefits. How dare you? Right. I have a kid in private school. Um, anyway, I can talk. So that was me leaving. And but I yeah, I you took the leap. I took the leap. I took the jump. And um, I also, here's the real, and I think maybe you can relate to this, just like the unscripted kids or the ugly step kids, right? <laughs> Same thing even with cable and broadcast. Right. And then having been on all sides of it at a network and then a studio and then a network again, there's sort of that delineation of like, but producers couldn't really do their job without us or the producers who are like, and network executives don't do anything. And I'm like, I'm so tired of the unknown. And, you know, do I have what it takes? And so when I first left NBC, again, the team was great. Chris Curry in particular, I'll never forget speaking to her and saying like, but what if I don't have get a gig right away? Or what if I don't get gigs? And what if I'm homeless? Like that literally came out of my mouth. And she <laughs> like... <laughs> held me in the office and like, I think had like a quick smirk and then was like, Lene, 
you're never going to be homeless. You're never not going to have a job. And I was like, but you don't know that. And she was like, but I do. Wow. And so, um, I know it was amazing. And, um, yeah, I left to go produce and I got offered some amazing jobs because coming out of NBC, you have great relationships. I got offered show running gigs out the gate and my ego set to take them. But my like <laughs> guts, I would say I have the God in my gut was like, girl, you better go back and make sure you can really do this. And so that's what I did. I went back and, um, took actual like producer jobs and worked my way up that way, but also made sure that I carved out time for my kids. And then that I was also carving out time to do my own development because that was really important to me. Um, I think having had developed such amazing shows internally, I always wanted to know, like, if you can do it here, you can do it outside. Right. I really respect that you, I mean, Part of you listened to my last podcast with the black producers and unscripted, and it kind of veered off in a direction that a lot of these podcasts veer off into, which is sort of this idea that, I don't know, Gen Z or millennials, they kind of expect that things are going to happen like that and that they are going to get promoted from intern to showrunner in a week, mm-hmm. you know, and I know mm-hmm. it frustrates a lot of us old people and I'm not counting you in the old people oh, category. Well, old. <laughs> well, I think you're probably closer to the kinds of kids we're talking about. And that's why I want to give you so much credit because I think the fact that you knew for yourself that you had to kind of go learn, I mean, you had been on the network side and even though you've probably been in the field a lot or in the studio, you still had to learn the basics of how to do it from a producer's POV mm-hmm. before you-, you could run an entire show. You have to kind of know how to do it. That's right. You don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And you never, again, having been on all sides of it, I was like, oh, that agent is going to talk about me or <laughs> so-and-so, you know, or even just, I mean, I'm really competitive. I'm the gamer mm-hmm. in my family. And so I like Love to it. just do things the right way. And if someone cheats, I have an issue with it. Um, but I think there is this You know, and I did enjoy that last conversation where someone said, listen, they're definitely people have to crawl before they walk, but they're we also have to change it up where it's not like, hey, because I carry 12 pizza boxes and a cake and right. Um, So, yeah, foundation was important and it was important for me to go back and see it from that perspective, get my hands dirty, which is ironically what I freaking love. And I think that was what would be confusing to sometimes, by the way, I apologize for any producers (laughs) out there who if I've ever stepped on their toes, right, as a studio executive, because it's like, well, then let them do their job. So there's always all sides to it. So I know that we have a lot that I want to talk about, but it's, and it's hard to condense everything, but I do want to transition to where you've been for the last four years. And you've talked about how you had to make that leap to producing and then show running. And you've done such a really great mix of stuff. Like you've love connection for Fox and truth to power where you were showrunner for the Lena Waithe show for Rain, Be Our Chef for Disney, a show with Anthony Anderson. So it's been this really cool mix of Shiny Floor and some other types of shows. So talk a little bit about why you pick those projects and and sort of the shows that you like to do and showrun and what it's been like to showrun after being on the network side for so long. 
Yeah, I'll start with first. So True to Power was a series with a really amazing production company um, called Tiny Horse, who actually just sold. And they have this amazing new partnership because who doesn't do that these days? Um, But they brought me in and True to Power was with a host called April Rain, who um, is known for Oscar So White and really diving into Black voices and wanting those to shine. And so for me, it was a no-brainer. And um, fortunately, we were able to have Lena Waithe and some really amazing other um, talents on the series really go in-depth into their experience. And so with Lena's episode, it was about mentorship and the importance of her program. And I think I mean, obviously (laughs) I chose that because how do you turn it down? And I think that was important subject matter and and a perspective that isn't often shown Um, when you talk about women and especially women of color uh, speaking truth to power and being able to have their voices heard. Um, Primarily my background is in formats um, and I love it. And I'm just that nerd of a girl who loves Mm -hmm. to um, entertain through competition shows, who loves to figure out the puzzle of how do we come up with a series that isn't already, you know, most viewed and, and how do we come up with that next big shiny floor hit? You know, we talked about, or I heard you talk to Izzy Pick, who I love. And um, I remember she called me over and said, Hey, I have this position for you on Mass Singer. And like most other people, I remember that show circulating when I was an executive and you just don't know what that's going to be. Um, and then I had just gotten off the proposal and as a producer, you're like, I can only do so many types of shows, <laughs> um, of zany shows <laughs> we'll where you're just not sure what it's, what'd you say? I said, we'll just leave it there. We'll leave it there. <laughs> it right? a great show. Yes. Um, no, no, it was amazing. I think that experience, I rave about it. And it was James Ehrlich and Jace, uh, and James Breen, who I had worked on Love Connection with. And I think, um, quick story with that, as we talk about the transition from being executive, right? For me, as a black woman. And I also want to sort of talk about the importance of not always having to feel like there's a brunt on my shoulders of walking into a room as a black woman. I walk into a room first as a producer, um, like you, I'm sure you don't walk into rooms and you're like, I'm a woman, (laughs) I'm here that too. But anyways, going back to that, I was, I stayed on the executive side for a long time, um, because I felt it was important to have, um, a seat at the table and to make sure our voices are, so delicately heard from the other side and just broad voices at that. So when we look at the black audience or any audience, it's diverse. And so when you look at my resume strategically, I think it's diverse on purpose because I am, that's what I watch. Um, But stayed on the executive side, was about to do that transition. And um, as I knew, we talked about me having to work my way up, right? I ran into James Breen at Starbucks randomly one day and he's like, what are you up to? And I'm like, you know, out here creating my shows, <laughs> developing, because James knew me. We had, uh, he had consulted on the Channing Tatum show with me. And uh, at that time, he's like, hey, there's show staffing up. And I was like, guy, take it easy. I'm developing my own. <laughs> nice. And so I did a year of that leaving NBC very diligently concentrating on my own content and, and successful to a, an extent. Um, but meeting him at Starbucks and he's like, what are you up to? And I'm like, I got to go back to producing. Like my husband thinks I don't have a job. I'm working from home. I'm consulting. I'm out selling stuff. Um, but I also have to get my feet wet. And so James took that, um, 
I don't know, took a risk on me as a former executive buyer that he knew and had only worked with me in one other development production capacity. And so I think it's safe to say that I, on Love Connection, knocked it out the park and afterwards having drinks with him and Jason Ehrlich of like, girl, you got this. And I'm like, thank you. And I know, right? And, and like being able to own it and then doing the next series. And so, um, gosh, now I forgot the question. Uh, so then Massinger, so that's me getting back into production and wanting to choose my projects strategically. And um, now sort of, I guess, the elephant in the room, although I like to not consider myself an animal, but obsessed with animals, uh, elephants randomly, mm-hmm. um, is, is my experience as both a showrunner and uh, bringing my unique POV to the room, right? My goal and real dream is to be the Issa Rae of Shiny Floor because I don't know who that is. I don't know who that is and I haven't seen her. It is me and I want to. And I think also, let me give props to the Issa Rae's of the world, right? We talked about like having to be on this grind and do things traditionally, if, if I'm honest, I feel like I've done things traditionally. Even if I started as a PA, I'd most likely be a showrunner now. I'm 10 plus True. years in. True. Um, and I've had the opportunity to see television from a 360 point of view. And I think that comes with that. That gives me a great upper hand and a, and a different, again, perspective that I'm bringing. At the same time, as I'm hustling at the network and my counterparts that had the same title I did when I left the network, they're now SVPs and EV, SV, mm-hmm. SVPs. So I think it's safe to say that if I stayed, I would have had that title. Meanwhile, you have the Issa Rays of the world who are like, I'm creating for the sake of creating and for the sake of the culture. And it has nothing to do about a particular title, when, how, and where. And so I think those type of creatives sort of jumping on the scene were also inspiring and sort of that nudging um, in the back of my head of saying, if you're going to do it, do it now. Um, uh, uh, go ahead. So does that mean when you say that you want to be the Issa Rae, the shiny floor world, does that mean that you want to create a show that celebrates black culture in the shiny floor arena? Cause that's, that's what Issa question. did, right? That's a good question. I, I mean, do- not the shiny floor, but. By the way, I do have one of those shows. Of course you do. Um, but no, so so maybe, so that's a great question. I think Issa, and I'm using her as an impetus of just a ferocious creative who jumped out there and created her own lane. And mm-hmm. while I have a pedigree in television and I've definitely come up the ranks, I think there's something to be said about um about just doing it. And so, but then again, also as a black woman, I'm like, get it girl, <laughs> really for the culture. Um, I, I try not to be, we talked about not boxing myself in. I, I really try to not box myself into a particular genre. And I think it's dangerous. And I'll tell you why. Um, I've been fortunate where I've had diverse programming and I think it's only by way of my diverse networks and experiences that I had. While I do appreciate that I get calls for, you know, African-American skewing content, or as they say, AA shows, right? Um, It's amazing. And I think that it should come from a woman who might know that world, but it gets dangerous when 
it's a singular story that we've seen. And um, they're asking, they've already con conceived this world that might not speak to all Black audiences. And now you're expecting uh, me to run with it where there, if I were on the other side of it, I probably would have said you needed a person of color helping to conceive that show out the gate mm. and not pushing us further in a box. I also think the other side of that is too many times, like as I'm saying, I want to represent in the showrunner space that is being identified as a broad producer who happens to be a woman of color yeah. and can bring my perspective of being a woman of color, but knowing that I'm there to do the job. Too many times uh, producers of color are boxed into the, hey, I have this loud docu-series. And so I think, you know, undoubtedly there's way more showrunners that are African-American in the docu-space, but we're still limited to that type of content. Totally. And I think it's interesting what you're saying, because I think what would be an incredible goal, and there's actually, I interviewed a trio, um, they're a new casting agency that they literally started their company to cast diverse people in shows, in quote unquote, mainstream shows. Who are they? Vital Casting. Check okay. it out. Um, yeah. Jen and Alyssa and Rebecca. So yeah, listen to that podcast. But my point is, is that the goal would be that you're doing the shows that you love, the cooking shows, you know, the love, the dating shows, all these shiny floor shows that you love doing. But your POV that you bring is that you're going to recognize if somebody's bringing you an all white cast, right? Absolutely. Like, so it's, it's that perspective that's so important. Yeah. And like even social experiment, like anybody who knows me, like when Love is Blind came out, I was like, I pitched that a version of that to NBC. Right. But I was internal and you're programming for one mm. particular audience. And so if if broad networks or new networks have taught us anything, it's that you have to be able to be nimble and service your different buckets of people and different mm -hmm. genres. And so even when people look at my resume, I won't lie to you. They're like, but what do you love most? And I'm like, everything. <laughs> and I'll tell you what I don't. Right. So there's certain like I remember getting a show as an executive and it was like deep, deep true crime. Now, I love like actionable next step true crime. In fact, I have some social justice pieces that are just as important to me as my shiny floor series. Um, but that one was like kid deaths kid murders. Oh. And I was like, yep, probably not the executive no. or producer for that. Those stories are well, it hits a little too close for home. Right. Yep. So I'm very clear on what I don't want to do, but I think like anybody, um, if you have a passion for it and if that's actually something you consume, you can execute it. Um, and so that if, if I can be of any sort of bridge in this space is really forcing these um, buyers and prodcos to look at how they're actively going about content and not just calling the same, you know, four to five people that they've been using for years. In fact, like call the people like me who are though I'm the first call that those people call and they're like, hey, so we sold a show, but we don't know what it is. <laughs> but can you figure it out? Um, or can you help execute and, and no shade to, to the people who are doing it well, but I think I would love to see more diversity in the shiny four space, just because, you know, another thing, and sorry, I hate to, if I'm going on a tangent, but when we, and, and this is important, especially right now to have this conversation, when we look at African-American, African-American viewership, we are the viewership. 
we watch everything. My mom's nickname for me is Lucy because I'm still obsessed with I Love Lucy. I make my kids watch it. And so when we consume television, it's not a specific genre. So when they're like, hey, but they love hip hop, ratchet TV shows. Yes, we do. That's a part of us, you know, and that's important. But we for years haven't had representation. And so our types of programming are going to be broader and uh, more not not what people expect us to watch mm. right and so what made me really happy about be our chef for example is that as i'm raising two beautiful brown girls who you know it's important for me and to them that they're connecting to culture and i'm exposing them to a truth to power for example it's also important that i'm going let's relate to this show on just a basic level of we like to have family time. We like to cook. It's bringing unity. So if there's any sort of through line between my projects, it's about connectivity. It's about story and being able to relate to um, people on, on the, the levels that matter. And so I'm big on shiny floor because it is broad and family. And we talked about me wanting there to be content that my grandma can see. I also want 80%, 70% of my content being something that my kids can watch right along with my husband and my parents. And so that's the world that I tend to live on in outside of that. It's, um, then speaking to what I can do to bring up my culture and, and what I can particularly use my unique voice to, to bring to the table. The last thing I'll say is I think it's really amazing for, um, to, to partner with producers who also are sort of, of that broad elk. And I say that meaning most production companies now are realizing they can't just be specialists. Right. And so, um, as they're partnering with whether showrunners or piece of talent, as I just worked on a predominantly black series, uh, produced with Anthony Anderson, it was important to us that yes, we, um, were two, you know, at this point executives who, um, had power, and as much as we wanted it to be diverse, we're hiring the best people for the job, but also utilizing that in a way of like, who are names that probably are not known to these buyers or to the production company. Um, recently, I've been offered so many jobs and that's very fortunate. And I have to say that doesn't always happen, right? There's it's ebb and flow, but I've been offered positions. And if it's not me, I think I have a responsibility to put the next best producer up. And sometimes that is an African-American woman or a man who they might not have the network ties that I do. And so it's important to me that I operate sort of not as this black unicorn. I've been called a black unicorn. Mm -hmm. And I think it's been said in a complimentary way, but I think my job for the next generation is to say, here is Lene and here's what I'm really great at. And here are my skills. And I think I'll always bring something unique to the table, but it's, I also have to bring up other people and not try to just be that only person because it, it, it just, it's a, it, anyways, you, you know, it's a, a sort of this ever evolving circle of, of how we all can sort of move the conversation to the next level, both professionally and uh, personally. You obviously, if we've learned anything in the last hour, you are clearly a very ambitious person. So take that. I, I need to ask what, what are the kinds of things you want to be doing in the next five to 10 years? Because I can see that you're only getting started now. 
No, I'll take that. I love that. Um, oh, I love that. Cut to, <laughs> cut to wake up every morning. Like, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> What's happening? I think everyone's You're asking that right now. I was, uh, I wrote just talking to Noah Pollock. Uh, he had checked on me. I posted something on um, my page with my kids and, uh, I told him that I was going to do this. And he goes, man, I'm so proud of you. You're so successful. And I go, isn't that relative though? Right? Like what is success? Like if I got dinner cooked, like, and I mean, not post-mating it, like I'm post-mates queens, <laughs> like if uh, post-mate queen, if I can cook and the kids are happy, like that's success to me and being able to do things that I love. So mm-hmm. the next five years, I won't lie to you. It's all about legacy doing cool things and having fun while doing it. Um, my production company is named after my girls, Parker Page Media. It's their middle names. Cute. So Parker and Page. Um, and they know it. And they're very clear on like, my oldest daughter is like, mom, you're just taking care of our business for us right now until we're old enough to have it, right? And wow. I'm like, you got it. Um, and for me, when I decided to leave and go produce, and like you said, some of the, I don't know how deliberate my resume looks and it looks like, a whole bunch of vomit, I'm sure. Um, it looks a whole lot of impressive. Thank you. It, it has had to be very strategic because what I realized at the studio um, when I was getting home at three in the morning, very pregnant, is that this industry is still hard no matter what side you're on. And so I wanted to make it make sense for my kids. And so whether it be the name of the company and I'm, you know, alone out or I've been successful to sell some stuff now we just have to get it on air, right? Because <laughs> the kids see me come home and I'm like, I sold it. I made a deal. And they're like, what about that show you sold? I'm like, don't talk about it. <laughs> it's on the shelf or the network swears it's coming. Um, yeah. And so I think that's the next phase. I want to get a show on air under my umbrella. I want to continue still helping other people. I think sometimes people get disillusioned by seeing my resume and they're like, oh, she made it. And I'm like, I didn't make anything. I, you know, like it's, it's again, it's so relative and I really want to do cool stuff. So if it means collaborating with a really awesome showrunner that I love, you know, in a space that I love, that it makes sense or working for another production company. I like to, I hope that makes sense. I I really am so passionate about TV. Do you have one passion project? That's the one you're never going to give up till you see it on air. You're your baby. I have. Oh yeah. I have a few. I have Mm -hmm. a few. Actually it's so yay. I just, or I'm partnered on uh, two passion projects with studios. And I feel like this is the go. Um, And I've always been fortunate to get these projects somewhere and then the exec leaves. And then because I've been on the studio network, you know that like sometimes that's the death, but before they can pass on me, I'm like, hey, we didn't sign the ink. <laughs> like we, it's not official or, right. hey, it is official. I sold a show to a network and they were rejiggering their slate. And unfortunately, I know that a couple other production co- companies got like, I mean, it was bad for them. Their projects are just stuck there in perpetuity. And I had that tough conversation um, and asked them if I can have it back. And so I have that project back and I'm now going to take it out. And luckily it wasn't burnt. I sold it in the room to that company, uh, to that network. So only one person heard about it. And I think that's what's also so exciting, at least being a creative right now. There's so many places to sell to. Um, so I have a passion And it's all about timing. 
Right. It's all about timing. But it, man, I mean, again, you ask my mom that my family is hilarious because there were times where working in television, you don't get credit. So like working at the studio or the network there, my cousins were like, you don't really work in TV. <laughs> you didn't like, but did you do anything? And I'm like, I swear. Um, so yeah, the first EP credit and, and Be Our Chef was the first show, uh, shiny floor show. For me, it is important having all the wealth of experience I've had on shiny floor shows, having been internal, it doesn't make sense that I wouldn't be able to go back and now show run. Um, yeah. And I want my girls to see that. And um, after that, I think it's on to the next, right? Like Is Be Our Chef on scripted. Disney Plus right now? It's on Disney Plus right now. Go okay, binge check it. it out. I'm going to go binge go it. Did you watch yeah. it with your kids? Oh my gosh. It, listen, I filmed that two years ago. That was supposed to be a series that was launched, um, with the launch of Disney plus, because there's so many things that are above my head. It wasn't. And you get (laughs) bummed because you're like, I want that. Um, and I'm sure there would have been other jobs that were offered because that credit came a lot sooner. Um, but I think it couldn't have been released at a better time because you have COVID hitting Mm -hmm. and the girls are at home and we're trying to homeschool, like, who wants to talk about that depressing stuff? <laughs> um, but we each Friday, so I think it was like maybe three weeks after, or no, a couple weeks after COVID, Be Our Chef was launched and it gave, <clears throat> excuse me, I'll say that again. Uh, shortly after COVID, Be Our Chef was launched and it gave my girls something to look forward to every week. And so mm-hmm. um, like everyone else during this pandemic, we'd get in the kitchen and cook. And so now we were able to make it, make challenges. Um, and they, my youngest who can care less what day it is, like it, <laughs> she started keeping track on the calendar. She's like, today's Friday and this means Be Our Chef. And then we get dessert on today and then da 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 da. And it's a challenge between mommy and daddy. And now it's a kid challenge. And so the idea with that series honestly was do something cool for your kids right like and I think um we we talk about everything in my household you know um one of the things and just going back to being a woman of color I've never had the luxury of not talking about real world issues Mm -hmm. with my kids um and so the part of that is even like what mommy does and why she's leaving. And that show we filmed at Disney world. And so, um, of course I had to go for a few weeks or I think a week and a half before I sent for them. Cause don't want to be evil mom either. Uh, <laughs> let them come to Disney world. And I think they got a whole other understanding about what it is that I do. Again, my four-year-olds always knew that I was a producer, but now she can break down the logistics and like she'll pitch things to me. Or even when she eats, it's just the cutest thing. She's like, I'm tasting a hint of oh, that's so cute <laughs> well, that's what you do it for so i that's how as cliche as it sounds i want to have fun harper will hire you in a few years that's right <laughs> some of your credits that's right <laughs> this is so fun lene i wish we i have a million more questions but we we far surpassed the hour mark so thank you so much for doing this you're thank fabulous you. You're fabulous. Um, I love what you're doing. You're like, I mean, can we just go back really quickly and acknowledge that you created your own lane? You're talking about like how you go, you know, you go above and beyond. We, to my knowledge, this is one of the first podcasts in the reality space and really did it well, connected with amazing people. And I think when um, I do get off or questions from friends of a friend in like, I don't know, Arkansas, and how do you get into television? It's like, first download this podcast, right? 
Thank and you. So, yeah, and I thanks for having that. me. I appreciate that. I'm so glad you're part of the the roster now and uh, and that you and I are now in touch. And hopefully when this is all over, we can actually meet in person. Absolutely. 